Hey guys, and welcome to the Alabama Freshwater Fishing Report, presented by Great Days Outdoors Magazine. The first podcast to bring you the local fishing report for Alabama's lakes and rivers, whether it's good, bad, or ugly. I'm your host, Nick Williams, and this week's show is brought to you by Great Days Outdoors Magazine. Are you frustrated by your typical hunting and fishing magazines? Are you tired of reading content meant for guys up north or in the Midwest? Don't get left behind following the guidance of guys who don't hunt and fish in your home state. Pick up a Great Days Outdoors magazine subscription and become a better southern outdoorsman. Great Days Outdoors magazine can be found at your local Books A Million, Tractor Supply Company, Rural King, or you can save and buy online at greatdaysoutdoors.com. Alrighty, guys, welcome back to another episode of the Alabama Freshwater Fishing Report. This week, we're leading off with Justin Dunham down here on the Mobile Tensaw Delta. Justin, how you doing today, sir? Pretty good. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Enjoyed having you on the last time. Uh, been looking forward to having you back on again. Tell me tell me a little bit, just just broad strokes, what uh, what's going on in the Mobile Tensaw Delta? I know it, it's kind of an odd year. Uh, we were just talking off air how it's kind of odd this time of the year for the river to be this low. Has is, is that kind of impacted your fishing any this year so far? Uh, yeah, it has a little bit, you know. So we had that long dry spell. And then last weekend, Friday and Saturday, sun, a little bit of Sunday, we had all that rain come in. And I was expecting it to shoot the river up. But I guess, you know, we're on a drought so long, it didn't really do that. But I think it just made everything muddy. And uh, now the river is pretty much back where it was. So I, I think we're going to be not really in a winter pattern yet because the temperatures are yo-yo and it hasn't really stayed cold for very long. But uh, the cold weather is coming. So For sure. Yeah, it's 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 been interesting to, to see it be this dry and this warm. I think we've had two good cold fronts. We're going to get some low temperatures, I know, tonight, but nothing compared to, you know, last year. I think by this time last year, we had one night where it already iced over some. Very, very different year. Oh yeah, absolutely. Last year we had that uh that big hard freeze a little bit before Christmas too. It doesn't look like we're going to have anything like that yet. I've heard mixed opinions. I was talking with Seth Maddox with a uh, with DCNR talking about some waterfowl stuff and he said that he thinks we'll get a late winter but a hard winter. So, we'll see. I'm 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 not buying it just yet. It just does not seem like a hard winter, but I've uh, I've said that before and regretted my words. By the time January rolls around, I know a lot of times we usually get our coldest weather in January and then even into February. So it can all it can change in a heartbeat, uh, just like water levels. Everything can be good and the swamp can be dry. And uh, then you wake up the next day and it's flooded out for the next three months. So <laughs> saying yeah. saying you're not really in a in a winter pattern right now. So you're just kind of continuing in in with the fall pattern, I guess. What have uh, what have you been having success with here lately? So uh, what I would do is, you know, since we're, we really haven't had a bunch of rain, um, but I would, uh, whenever we're about to have some rain come through, that wind that's going to precede the rain, I would uh, focus on fishing windblown banks, you know, with like a kind of a fast moving lure, maybe a crankbait, something that's uh, crawfish colored, fire crawl. Uh, delta red something along those lines a big full-size crankbait if i'm bass fishing um just throwing around any exposed like cypress knees cypress tree bases that sort of thing trying to deflect it around um in past years that's something i've done really really good with and uh, the the bass should be getting pretty close to pre-spawn they should be feeding up 
And really from now until February, March, and even into April, it should be like jam up for bass fishing if you can find some windblown banks. Now, if you're perch fishing, I'm still going to be targeting the bushes and things, the treetops, and slower moving creeks and lakes and things like that. Um, I don't want too much current coming through there whenever I'm trying to fish it, but I'll throw that jig out. I've been using a curly tail lately. I throw it out and let it sink on the first cast, maybe two or three seconds, and then give it a little reel, you know, give it a reel every few seconds. And on the next cast, let it sink down a few more seconds and then kind of hop it back. And you'll figure out the depth that they're at pretty quick. And if we're talking about catfish, um, I like for the water level to get up just a little bit, not, not quite flooding, but up just a little bit. That way you can see those good visible eddies. And whenever I catfish, I don't really try to catch the huge ones. I just like the good fillet size. So a lot of times my bait of choice will be chicken livers. And I'll just kind of glob those on a hook and kind of lob them out there and just let them sit. And you'll catch catfish, you know, from that one to three pound range when that water gets up. Talking about those current seams, and that's something I've done a lot of is, is fishing for catfish, whether it was with set lines or, or with a rod and reel, like you talk about on current seams where the main river kind of comes past some of these lakes here in the Delta. This time of year is usually the time that it starts to get squirrely in small craft. And it can go real quick from squirrely to, in my mind, just downright dangerous. I know we have, we've had some fatalities here in the past. Uh, one that stands uh, out in my memory is back when I believe I was in college. There were two boys who were squirrel hunting out on Gravine Island, and I don't, I don't know if you remember this story, but they actually they found them much, much further south, and their canoe capsized, and they both drowned. And it's always been something that I've, I've been cognizant of hunting and fishing out of either paddle craft or, or, or small motorized vessels. What are your thoughts on how to stay safe out there when you're doing something, something like that? If you're, if you're out there fishing on that current seam, uh, when that river starts to get high and flooded and you start to get more debris in it, you know, we have, we can have, you know, like right now is a condition that'll generate a lot of fog because the water will be warmer than some of our evening temperatures. You know, today's been fairly warm. Then you'll have a night get down into the 30s, make a lot of fog on the river. Visibility is low for other boaters. What are kind of some of your thoughts on all that? Okay, so that that's a good question. Um, so first, the number one thing you can do to help yourself stay safe on the water is you've got to wear a life jacket. The state doesn't require it unless it's one of those pull cord type life jackets. But I recommend you wear, you know, a traditional life vest that whenever you fall in, you'll be floating. So that's number one. And then number two about the fog, you really should have a light on your kayak. And if you have a boat, you kind of have to have the, the green and red light. But on a kayak, we're supposed to have a 360 degree light that can be seen from anywhere. And a lot of times I go a step beyond that and I'll have a battery powered lantern. And if I hear a boat coming or I can see a boat coming, I'll kind of hold that lantern up over my head and just slowly wave it just so I know that they know I'm out there. Um, that's how I would deal with the fog. And I haven't really had any instances, you know, where 
anything got too dangerous. Um, another thing I would say is if you're coming to a junction and you know there's going to be, you know, an eddy current that's twisting or current seam, um, it's probably best not to try to cross the water there because that current, you know, will twist you around. And sometimes it can kind of rock, rock the boat or rock the kayak a little bit. And I'm, if you've been out in that kind of water, you know, whenever the boat kind of starts to rock a little bit and it's not natural. And then a kayak, if you're paddling or, you know, your weight's not directly in the center and it tilts, that could be all it takes to send you in. So if I was going to cross the river, I would not do it any, at any place. There's a junction where the current could be spinning. For sure. I've been caught out in stuff like that. And, and even in a fairly big boat, you can feel that shift. You know, you'll feel that boat kind of shimmy when you hit that current seam. It's something I don't think a lot of people think about it a lot because so many people are used to fishing out here in the spring and summer when we have no current, you know, like this, this summer, this drought condition in particular, I mean, just talk about lazy Southern rivers, you know, but, but Tensaw, Tensaw in particular, I'm familiar with, and it can turn into a whole different beast in the wintertime, especially that stretch right there north of Gravine. If you get a good north wind, you can combine a really good current when the water's up with a surprisingly rough surf. It's definitely makes for some interesting conditions. And I want to circle back to something that you were saying, because you, you kind of mirrored an opinion that I've had, and I don't, I don't talk about it too much because it's kind of a contrarian view, but you mentioned that you recommended a traditional life jacket over some of the different inflatable models. Tell me, tell me more about that preference. Okay. So the traditional life jacket is always going to float 100% of the time. You know, if you fall in, at this time of year, the water temperatures are colder than they are in spring and summer, obviously. So when you fall in, um, your body goes in that water. And if you've ever done it, you know, there's a gas kind of whenever you hit that water and, you know, it just goes all over your body and you kind of lose your sense of what am I supposed to do? And having that life jacket on that, you know, is going to float is just one less thing that you have to worry about. If it's a pull cord type, you know, there, there could be a defect with the inflating mechanism. The cartridge may not go off um, or you could just lose your sense of what you're supposed to do and forget to pull the thing. And then at that point, that life jacket is not doing you any good. But if you have a traditional life jacket, you know, it's going to float and they make kayak fishing specific ones now. And they have like leashing points for, you know, your tools and you can keep your phone in some of the pockets and you can get lanyards for them. So um, the life jacket ends up being more of a tool to help you, uh, you know, in addition to being a life jacket. That's interesting. You, you mirror my thoughts almost exactly. So the way I've always approached it and, and my mom was a lifeguard and I've, I've had friends who were, in boating accidents and i think what people don't keep in mind especially with the pull cord ones and i have a buddy who's a, a pretty smart guy and a the type of consumer who before he buys something he'll research it to death we're, we're alike in that way him and i and he had bought for like summertime boating some life jackets that you wore around your waist that had a pull cord and his rationale which wasn't bad was that that was so unobtrusive that there was no excuse not to wear it, right? Like it wasn't hot in the summertime. It didn't get in the way of anything, right? You just clip it around your waist. It doesn't get in the way with your paddling and you've always got a life jacket on. And in general, I agree that, you know, 
the the life jacket that you have that you wore is better than the one that you left stashed under a boat seat. But something that I think people fail to consider is that if you leave your boat or your kayak, there's a pretty good chance that something went wrong and you're unconscious, you're injured, or you're just like you said, you're in shock, you're confused, you know, you're you're tangled in something. Like I, I talked with a buddy who was going down the river and he hit an obstacle in the water and it threw him over the console of his bass boat. He said the only thing that kept him from going off the, the stern of the boat was a trolling motor. <laughs> and oh, did wow. you think if he would have, yeah, you get propelled that violently forward. What are the odds that, that he's got the wherewithal? To, to hit a pull cord, you know, or if, or if you're in your kayak and somebody is is coming down the river, I've seen duck hunters running without lights and stuff like that. You know, if somebody clips you early in the morning or late in the evening in, in that kayak, what are the odds that you're in 100% peak physical condition and, and can operate that pull cord? So, and the automatics as well, you know, that's something if you've got one that's been sitting there in your closet for, you know, three or four years and everything's gone well and you've never needed it, how confident are you that it works? You know, if you take it out and you get it wet and you submerge it, does it go off? You know, or did or did that CO two cartridge uh, spring a leak over time? Is it flat? Is the trigger mechanism no longer in, intact? I think I think you raise a really good point about the value of a, of a traditional, just regular old foam flotation device. Especially they make so many of them now. The the designs are way better than they were even ten years ago when I first started working in an outdoor store and selling them. Especially in the winter, I think, when you kind of benefit the most from the extra protection, that little bit of extra bulk, if anything, is nice on a cold day. You know, having oh, having yeah. that extra material around you can sometimes be nicer than not, right? Oh, yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I wear one 12 months out of the year whenever I'm fishing, and uh, you really don't get too hot with them in the summer. You know, yeah, they'll make you sweat more, but... You know, whenever you get out from the bank to take a break or whatever, if you need to take it off, just take it off for a few minutes. And as soon as you get back on the water, put it back on. And like you say, in the wintertime, you know, it's just like you're wearing another piece of clothing, just a vest. So it's it's helping you in the winter and it's helping you in the summer because you could have an accident in the summer, too, and, you know, bump your head. And even though the water is not cold, you could be unconscious. Absolutely. Tell me a little bit too. Talking about cold weather and being out on the Delta, me and you had some conversation before we started the show. You and I both apparently have an appreciation for the old casting blast, and I think that's something that that the Delta here offers a really tremendous opportunity for. Tell me a little bit more. I know, I know, you said recently you did a little bit of squirrel hunting in the Upper Delta. How did that go for you? Oh, that went pretty good. It was on the uh, Upper WMA property, you know, up there around Latham. And I think I ended up with seven squirrels, and I, I had not been squirrel hunting in a few years, and cooked the squirrels and tenderized the meat and fried them up, and they were delicious. So I'm thinking this weekend I'm going to hop in the kayak and uh, take a 410 with me and take a fishing rod and try to catch some white perch, crappie, and uh, maybe get me a few more squirrels. I, I speak from experience. Have you uh, have you shot a lot of squirrels from a kayak? And have you shot any that landed in the water? Um, I've shot a few from a stopped boat, and I've shot just a few from a kayak. Um, I do know that they sink pretty quick when they hit the water. <laughs> they sink. So, I, I got a buddy. I, I told him <laughs> that. He, he went to go do it for the first time, and I was like, yeah, you should do it. It's fun. 
you know, it's kind of a unique experience, but uh, they're not like ducks, man. Like, like they hit the water and they sink. And he was like, oh, okay, yeah. And you could tell he was like, okay, whatever, in one ear out the other. And he called me that afternoon and he said, dude, he didn't tell me they sank like a brick because they will they will sink all the way to the bottom if you give them any time at all i've I've sat there before and, and been reached all the way up to my shoulder in tupelo swamps trying to get them it's the craziest thing i've ever seen a deer you can shoot a deer and you can float them out you know you can float them across the creek ducks obviously float but there's something about a squirrel i don't know what they're made out of i don't know if they got tungsten in their bones but but yes you were right any anybody looking to go out and do that this weekend it's an awesome time but be careful about those shots, because if, if he's 50 yards out, by the time you paddle to him, you will have to dig around there for him. Yeah, I guess uh, if you can't recover them, they just become grunnel food. <laughs> <laughs> do you uh, do you catch many grunnel this time of the year? I know I always catch them shallow in the spring and summer, and I don't, I don't really fool with them much in the wintertime. Do you ever catch them? I will catch them as a bycatch whenever I'm going after crappie, which I, I catch them that way in the summer, spring also, but... Um, I really don't target them very much in the winter, but whenever I have targeted targeted them in the really cold weather, I haven't had much success with them. Um, now, really, even whenever I'm crappie fishing, I don't have much success with them until it gets a little later in the day. So I think they get a little bit lethargic whenever it gets really cold, um, but you will catch them as a bycatch crappie fishing for sure. I can I can definitely see that as they start to... Uh... They, they they seem like the kind of fish that, that thrives in a little bit warmer water. Um, I think out of all the fish that we have down here, it seems like our blue cats and crappie kind of stay the most active throughout the winter has been my experience. Circling back to that, I know I know you mentioned kind of, you know, fishing for catfish with, with chicken livers, cut bait, current seams and stuff like that. Do you have, is there a particular way that you go about that or are you, are you just letting that kind of, are you just kind of freelining that bait out there? Are you fishing it under a bobber? Are you fishing it down down on the bottom on like a Carolina rig or something? Okay, so uh, what I do with that is I usually just use about 12-pound mono on like an old spin cast reel. I don't do anything too fancy when it comes to catfish. And I'll take about a number six treble hook. It doesn't have to be anything fancy, just like a, you know an eagle claw laser sharp number six. And then about foot and a half, two foot up from that. I will get, I'm not sure what size it is, but if it was a split shot, it would be like the biggest split shot you could buy, um, about the size of your index finger fingernail, and just kind of crimp it on the weight. And then I take that chicken liver, you know, a piece that's about, about the size of a chicken nugget, like you'd get from McDonald's, and I try to cover all three of those points on that treble hook with that chicken liver. And then whenever I cast it out there, it's just more of a lob rather than a hard cast. Because if you cast it too hard, you'll see your line go one way and the chicken liver will be right there at your feet. Um, So you just lob it out there. It'll sink on the bottom. And uh, usually it takes them about 15 to 20 minutes. And if there's catfish in the area, you know, that rod will start going off. And if you've got two or three going, you know, it's not uncommon to have all of your rods hit at one time once the fish find it. And once you get them fired up with those chicken livers, you know, you can usually catch as many as you want and uh, fill up your cooler. I'll, I'll ask you, have, I know talking about your line going one way and the chicken liver going the other, have you ever experimented with, have you ever been able to get hold of deer liver? Deer liver? I've never tried that. I, I I'm, imagine I'm, that would work. 
I might have to hook you up. So I, I actually am, am one of the few people I know who who eats deer liver. So I, I I don't always feel like wasting some on catfish bait, but it's substantially tougher and it, it fishes just as well. It's a little harder to get. You know, you can't just go to the Piggly Wiggly and pick up a quart of them. Not, <laughs> right. not too terrible to get a hold of if you got buddies who hunt. Uh, most of them get rid of it. And I can tell you just about every processor I know of, they get rid of it. Nobody does anything with them. So I'll, I'll throw that tidbit out there. I know I've played in the past with, you know, trying to get those livers to toughen up, um, you know, sitting them out in the sun, letting them dry a little bit or wrapping them in pantyhose, all the old tricks that you hear about. And uh, deer liver cuts. I mean, you, you can cut deer liver with a knife and it actually holds a shape. Like if you want to, you can cut it into a, you know, a cube. Still still light enough that you can kind of thread it on a hook easy, but substantially easier to keep on the hook. So it's top, top secret. Okay. Okay. Yeah, I've definitely checked that out because uh, I've never tried deer liver. Yeah, yeah, I'll uh, but I, I, I will, I will see if I can't get you some. It's a uh, pretty, pretty easy to keep a little bit in a quart freezer bag for a fishing trip, and you'll have to report back and let me know how it goes. Um, and something too, I'll tell you, and since since they actually they they sponsor the show, uh, I'll, I'll put a little little plug in there for them. Is uh, if you've ever tried the fish bites, uh, catfish bait that they have, that actually works fairly well. It's hard. I'll say this is hard to beat liver or fresh cut bait in my opinion, for catfish, but when it comes to, like, if you get them biting, those those strips, I don't know if you've ever fished with them, but they stay on the hook better than anything I think I've ever fished with. Uh, sometimes when you're done fishing, it's it's hard to get them back off the hook, so that's that's another thing. Okay, yeah, uh, um, the fish bites, uh, I've used those for saltwater, you know, catching, I think I caught white trout with them, and they you're right. They do hold up really well, but I, I wasn't aware that they made a catfish fish bites. They, they do. They actually sell them. I think, I think they call them like Yamon or something. Becky Boutwell down at Boutwell Bait and Tackle. She, she's got some in stock the last time I checked, but they make them in a, they're making a, in a bunch of classic scents. Like you see a lot of other stinking punch baits. They make a crawfish flavor and I know they make a shad flavor, and I think they've got a couple others in there. They might have like a garlic earthworm flavor or something like that. I, I seem to want to remember, but uh, they're they're particularly handy if you're doing your your float shoot. If you're out there doing a little bit of perch jerking and doing a little bit of squirrel hunting, as you go, if you want to set a few limb lines, that's a good clean bait that you can stick on the limb line, and it, okay. it smells substantially better. If if you put some of that in your jacket pocket, then it does. If you put a quart bag of uh, chicken livers in there, so <laughs> oh yeah, for sure. <laughs> yeah, and something else I, I've done for catfish is uh, those yo-yos. I'm not sure if you're familiar with them. Mm-hmm. They're they're bigger than a fifty cent piece, but it's you know it's just like cotton fishing line, kind of like tough braid, and you pull it down the depth you want, and it's got a hook tied on it. And uh, you you have a little mechanism that you can set it. It's basically a limb line, but you don't have to bother keeping the the line, you know, untangled from the other lines whenever you make them. And uh, you just buy three or four or five, six yo-yos, however many you want, and you hook them on a branch, put that hook on there, put your bait down, pull it down however deep you want it, and set that mechanism. And when the fish comes up and bites it, they pretty much hook themselves and the yo-yo will let line out and come back up as the fish comes up. It'll actually tire the fish out, kind of like a limb line. That's something else that I've done with catfish in the past. 
I'll say they work really well. And then I keep a handful of them. They're particularly handy if you've got a dock goes off into the water. We got a place up on the Sepulga River and I'll, I'll go up there at deer camp and I'll run a few off the dock in the afternoons just because it's an easy thing to do. Um, and I've baited those with, with the uh, fish bite strips as well. The, if, if just anybody who's listening in, if you go out and you get a set, they're awesome. Uh, you can tie one on. If you got little kids in the boat, you can tie one onto a cleat on your boat and just leave it there while you fish and do other things. Um, you can tie it to a limb. You can tie it to a log. If you're camping on the floating platforms up in the Delta, I've set a few off of those. If you're not careful with, with the tension and you catch a small fish and he triggers it, they can be strong enough that they will pull a limb line won't pull a fish up out of the water and those yo-yos will and if you're not careful about it they'll suffocate your fish i've done that before i've set them off my pier and got to doing other things and come out there two hours later and it took a catfish straight up out the water he was hanging about six inches up out of the water and uh it's kind of kind of sad kind of felt bad i've had to learn that lesson in the past so but they work uh they work real well. They work too. Uh, I've caught crappie off of them. And out in uh, Louisiana, that's actually, I think, what most of the guys down there use them for is they put them on cypress knees and catch crappie that way. So Yeah, I've heard about the crappie, but I've never actually fished with them for that. Um, I know when I first discovered those things, I thought they were the most you know, neat invention <laughs> I've ever saw. And uh, I've used them with some pretty good success, but um, you catch a lot of grinnel on them too, if you're not careful. If you put them in the in grinnelly spots, you can expect to catch some of those guys. That's I can tell you from running trot lines, limb lines, bank poles. If if you mess around and you set your set your set lines out one during the daytime, and then especially if you set them in slack water, it took me a, it took me a little bit to learn that is is if you set them in slack water, uh, if you're lucky, you'll catch a grinnel. If you're not lucky you'll be trying to pull a soft shell turtle about the size of a car rim off the bottom of the river. And, uh, <laughs> those are, uh, th- those, those do not make happy boat companions once you get them up the side of the boat. And there's no good place you can grab them where they can't come back there with that head. Interesting animals that I, that I prefer not to tangle with anymore. Although some people eat them. I've heard that they're good. I've had people assure me that there are seven different types of meat on a soft shell turtle and they all taste different. Huh. I've never tried turtle either, but uh, I would be interested to try it if I ever got one. I say every year that I'm going to do it, and every year I watch a video um, on how to clean them. And about halfway in, I'm like, hmm, I'm not sure about all that. Any Anytime you got to start <laughs> with scrubbing your food with bleach, I kind of lose a little interest. And then about the time they start breaking out a hand axe to break into him, I'm like, hmm. I don't know, man. An electric fly knife and a table full of crappie or two pound eater channel cats looks looks a little easier. So Oh yeah. Yeah. You you know that's delicious and it's easier. That's it. Well, Justin, I, I think we, we covered today. I think we covered about the full spectrum. I think I think we covered pretty much everything except uh shooting big deer in the swamp and it ain't quite time to do that yet. So I always enjoy having you on the show. I appreciate your time and uh good luck out there on, on your on your squirrel hunt this weekend. Yes, sir. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Yes, sir. Alrighty, guys, let's take a quick break. Hear from some of this week's sponsors to keep the show free to you. This week's episode of the Alabama Freshwater Fishing Report has been brought to you by 
The East Tennessee Fishing Show and Expo is back this year, January 25th through the 28th at the Knoxville Expo Center on Clinton Highway. The East Tennessee Fishing Show is the largest fishing show in the South, and this year will be featuring more dealers, more vendors, and more exhibits than ever before, all under one roof. Whether you fish for bass, crappie, trout, or walleye, if you fish, you won't want to miss the latest fishing gear, equipment, and apparel. Come check out Custom Tackle, Lures, Rods, Reels, Electronics, and Guides January 25th through the 28th. Tickets are only $12 for adults and $8 for kids 6 and above. Kids 5 and younger can attend for free. Tickets are available online or at the door, and the parking is also free. Learn more at EastTennesseeFishingShow.com. Also brought to you by Dixie Supply and Baker Metalworks. Dixie Supply and Baker Metalworks offer numerous items to help get your project done right the first time. They carry a variety of different panel profiles in your choice of colors and gauges with all the matching trim and accessories. They also offer a full line of hardware items and post-frame building design. Their friendly and knowledgeable sales representatives are always willing to help answer any questions or concerns you may have. Contact them with any questions or to get a free estimate today. Dixie Supply and Baker Metalworks, your metal roofing headquarters. Alrighty, guys, for our next guest today, we've got Jason Whitehead up on Lake Gunnersville on the Tennessee River. Jason, how you doing today, sir? Good, buddy. How are you? Man, I'm ready for Christmas. I've been I taking my little kid out to go see Santa Claus. Yeah, we fixed to go see some lights tonight. So it's it's that most wonderful time of the year. The deer hunters, the duck hunters, everybody's getting fired up, people hanging out with their families. And uh the the, the big question is, how's how's the fishing up there on Lake Gunnersville? Uh steady. Steady is the word. Um, it's not extraordinary, but you can, uh, you can definitely go out and, and have a good time and catch some fish weather permitting. I know last week we had some days that were 20, 25 mile per hour winds. That's a little tougher to deal with, but overall pretty steady. Well, and, and steady is good. Steady, steady. I noticed you didn't say that it was, a. Uh... It was hot and heavy, but but steady means predictable, and predictable is is something that uh I don't think people appreciate enough. So what uh what what's kind of going on out there? Are there fish on more or less the same pattern they were on last time in Utah? Is the same stuff working for them now as it was then? Yes, sir. I think last month when we were talking, we were just the temperatures had just started dropping at that point, so we were getting into a a chatterbait bite, a lipless crankbait bite. A rig bite was starting to fire up, and it is, we're basically still we're still there. The um, the temperatures have cooled off enough. The water temperature is sub sixty now, which is great. Um, we still haven't hit that full blown winter yet, where we're starting to see some of the bass. Um, they're still around the bait fish. They're still actively feeding. You hear a lot of people call that fall feed up. We're we're still in that time. We haven't got to really one of those brutal winter time conditions. Steady is the word that I use because it, it is kind of predictable. Simple right now, basically you're going out, you're taking the A-rig, you're taking a jerk bait. Warmer days, you can get away with the chatter bait or that lipless, and you're just covering water looking for those bait fish. Um, all of the guide trips the last two weeks that I've taken out, it's taken us a little bit of time. Some one or two days we've landed on them right from the get-go. Other days they move. You know, these fish are, are swimming with the bait fish, they're following the bait fish, so pending what those conditions are, whether it be current, cold front, extreme amount of wind. I mean, it's wintertime. You know, we're going to get some wind up here. So just every every day is more about locating the fish and not as much about trying different tactics or ways of catching them. You just got to find them. Jason, I know you say that the bass bite's been steady. You've been working A-rigs, jerk baits, swim baits, you know, just trying to get on the fish, trying to trying to find them day after day. 
what about crappie? I know down here at least, a lot of anglers, uh, that's their favorite time to crappie fish is in the winter. What are crappie doing right up there in uh, Gunnersville? So the the crappie, uh, it's been it's been amazing. I mean, we were we've had multiple days. I mean, limited out with a quickness and actually cold our way up a few times. Uh, the fish are big; they're actively feeding as well, but they're really starting to group up now. So we're starting to see schools, and everybody can go to my Facebook page and see pictures and stuff there. Um, I post quite a few pictures of large schools of fish that we found. But you're not talking about. 10 to 15, 20 fish schools. I mean, you, these are 100, 150 to 200 fish schools. They're massive. So it takes a minute or two to kind of figure out day to day what they're biting. Um, the chartreuse monkey milk has been the best color recently. We'll float back and forth between that, like a standard monkey milk, throw some thump gel on there. And whenever you figure out that color and presentation that they want that day, it's game on. I mean, it's cash, such a cash, such a cash. So it's that time of year for crappie season, as everybody calls it, man. And it's been a, it's been a blast. And we're going to continue that through December, through January, up into February when it starts warming up just a little bit. The colder it gets for the crappie, the better it's going to be. That, that sounds like a good time right there. Talking about, tell me again, what was the, it sounded like you were applying a scent. What what was the name of that scent again that you were using? The thump gel. It's really popular up here in North Alabama. Thump a lot gel. of guys, yep. A lot of guys around the bay, uh, around the lakes up here use it. It's basically like a, a scent and added attractant, but it's in more of a, a gel form. It's not a spray on. It's not a liquid. Uh, it comes in a small container, looks like lip, uh, lip gloss. Um, Gunnersville Tackle has it, Waterfront Tackle um, up in Scottsboro. They have it, but you basically just apply it on. Um, every few fish, we'll take it and reapply it. It's not really a dye, although it comes in separate colors. Um, they got a new one out that's called Orange Crush. It's kind of a garlic flavor, and the rest of it is more like a natural fish oil, fish scent type flavor. Is that something that you use all year, or is that something that you mainly apply here when it's colder, when you've got, you know, you can get big schools, but they need a little extra incentive to strike with the cold weather. It's something whenever it came out last year and started getting popular, I've applied it to everything. I mean, I put it on the A-Rigs for bass. There's different, it's the same, basically like the same formula, but there's different colors. So I'll pair up a swim bait, um, maybe a wider colored swim bait and add a little bit of the chartreuse tint thump gel on it and give it a little bit of little bit of color variance, but I've started applying it to everything. I mean, from a jig to a Cinco to crappie bait, A-Rig. Um, there's also, they make one, it's a cranking series. It's a little more dense, a little thicker, and a little bit brighter. And there's guys that are around Gunnersville that are actually putting it on uh, jerk baits and hard baits. So it, it's a great product for sure. That sounds, anybody listening in, that sounds like an awesome stocking stuffer uh, for people who are like me, who are looking to kind of round out their Christmas shopping for the year. That sounds like a, a really good option for folks. That sounds like something versatile to uh, stick in your tackle box and keep there handy. Oh, yeah. And it's not messy. Like I said, it comes in a little tube, looks like lip gloss. Uh, it's got a cap on it. Just pop it out of your pocket, rub a little bit on there, put it right back in your pocket with a cap on it. Um, and it's fairly inexpensive. Um, I think the tube of it is either ten ninety nine or eleven ninety nine, but I mean it lasts one tube and me fishing every day. One tube will last me almost three weeks. So you know your average angler that fishes a handful of times a month, it's going to last him for a couple months at a time. That's definitely a good point. You talk about it not being messy. I know down here a lot of guys like those uh, gulp shrimp come in those containers, and I swear 
uh, the folks there at Berkeley, sometimes I think they went out of their way to make sure that that make lid sure would not seal properly. Oh, yeah, man. My dad, my dad was a fan <laughs> of Jack's Juice and all this other stuff and the spray-on garlic scents and smelly jelly. And, you know, the last thing you want to do is take a container like that. And you sit it or you don't get the lid on it all the way, and it just causes a mess. Um, but this is not like that at all. I, I swear, man. I, <laughs> I've got a lot of uh, that smell is etched into my brain. The, oh, uh, yeah. The little Berkeley Alive, the the little teeny tiny crappie jigs that they would make, the little crappie minnows. Uh, I can't tell you how many times I've I've sat there and reached in the back of my hatchback or in the back of my trunk, grabbed my tackle bag, and you can smell that odor and that little teeny tiny container leaked and it, it just saturated that tackle bag once you get it in if anybody out there knows how to get that smell out of a tackle bag y'all let me know yeah, i'm interested no so yeah i agree tell me tell me a little bit i know we've talked with the last couple guests i i think boating safety is something that people should pay attention to 365 days a year i think something about the cold weather and maybe hanging out you know family with the holidays makes people more cognizant of of the importance of coming home at the end of the day and being safe. So I think safety is a little more prevalent on everybody's mind this time of year. Uh, we've got some good pointers from some of our other guests we've had on recently, Steve Graziano uh, down on Lake Eufaula, and then Justin Dunham down here on the Mobile Tensile Delta. They've kind of talked a little bit about boat safety. What's your best tip you can give anglers, you know, who want to make sure that, that they come home to their families this Christmas after they get out there on the lake? Sure. Yeah, it, boating safety, you know, on the boat and stuff, I mean, it's nothing to take lightly regardless of what time of year it is. Springtime, summertime, yeah. I mean, if you trip falling in the summer, the water temperature is 80 degrees, not that big deal, right? Well, this time of year, you know, the water temperatures are cold. I think the most important thing this time of year is us are – we're bundled up, right? We got boots on that we probably don't wear every day. Easy to stumble. We, we're bulked up with a lot of clothes, you know. So my suggestion would be my main concern this time of year is falling off the boat, whether that be myself or whether it be clients. So I make sure that my deck stays clear. Everything is in, in its proper location to where we don't accidentally misstep onto something or we're, you know, fumbling over a rod. Make sure your seats are are tightened down, you know, just keep everything clear, organized on the boat to where you don't have that potential to lose your balance to fall in. Um, kind of piggybacking off of that, uh, as far as safety goes, leave your boat strapped until it gets to the water. Like the, the bunks are going to freeze. Your boat will slide off that trailer. I've had friends of mine that's done it the last couple of years. Leave your boat strapped until you get it in down to the water line. If not, just backed it in. It may take you a couple more minutes. But it is definitely worth the worth the headache of that thing sliding off the trailer because it'll come off that trailer bunk just like butter when it gets real cold. Those are two really good tips, and and we had some good tips from the other guests, but that's something that we haven't had discussed. And I can uh I, I can attest to that, especially up where you're at. It's different in different parts of the country here in the Delta. We got a lot of flatland. You know, we're kind of at the end of the river drainage, so uh, kind of in a floodplain, and the ramps are. Very, very little angle, but I know some of those ramps up there on the Tennessee River, uh, one in particular stands out at uh, Smith Lake that I went to, and it feels like you just, you you back your boat up, and you're looking in your rearview mirror, and you get to that ramp, and your boat just vanishes yep. in your rearview mirror, yep. I mean, and it, it drops straight down, and uh, I've, I've heard stories of people who did the exact thing that you're talking about, take their boat out, and, you know, fish one day, get it wet have it freeze in the driveway, go the next day and be backing down the ramp and tap your brakes and whoop, off she comes. So 
That's a real good point. Yep, off the trailer, even on the trailer. You know, you get your partner to back into the water. You pull your pull your boat up there. Just crank it down. It doesn't take but just a second. So one one more step in the process, but it'll save you save you a big headache. Um, and then I know a lot of people don't don't fish this time of year, or they may get out regularly with boat storage. Everybody thinks that. If I'm going to store my boat, don't worry. It's in my garage. You know, it's climate controlled. It's heating. Number one, make sure you just drain it out. Whenever you take it out of the water, make sure your live oils are empty. Pull your plug, lower your motor. Just try to make it as, as dry as possible. But as far as storing your boat, it's not where you store your boat. It's that you are storing your boat, not location. You know, the, the fuel that we have now with it having you know, the ethanol and that type of stuff in there. I mean, you're, you run the risk of whether it be carburetor motor, fuel injection, the lines on your motor. And I'm, I'm no mechanic. I'm just talking from experience. The fuel lines, you know, they just get clogged up. They, they'll get clogged up. So take your boat, spend a couple hundred dollars, take it to your guys, uh, local marine shop, have it winterized. And they'll fog the cylinders. They make sure everything's dry. If you're not going to use it throughout, you know, for a month or two, um, you know, fuel has a shelf life just like a gallon of milk. It will go bad, and then that's going to cause you issues when it comes to uh, comes to springtime. Um, if you are using it periodically throughout the summer or throughout the winter, every couple weeks you're jumping in the boat on a nicer day and you're going out, just throw some fuel stabilizer in it. Not don't overkill it. I mean, just read the read the bottle, add some fuel stabilizer to it, and that will help prevent any of those fuel issues that you may possibly have leading up to springtime. Now, I'll add one more thing in there. Somebody who spends a lot of time running boats in cold weather that uh, th- this is the time of the year. The cold weather, if you're going to have trouble starting a boat, a, a boat that'll start okay in warm weather, you'll start noticing problems with it in the winter time. So definitely make sure your starter battery's in good shape. Uh, solenoid, all that. Do do your maintenance. This is the time of the year that problems crop up, and if you're not careful, especially with winterizing it, the problem will crop up now, and and then come spring when you're ready to get back up on the water, then you got to deal with the problem. And I can I can tell you from experience that in spring you take it to a good boat mechanic, and you're taking it to him too late. He's already got customers lined out for a month. So I've exactly. learned that the hard way. Yeah, exactly. Well, Jason, I definitely appreciate you taking the time to sit down with us today. I appreciate your safety tips in particular. If folks are looking to book a trip, what's a good way to get in touch with you? Uh, I'm on Facebook. It's Alabama Elite Fishing Guide on Facebook. Website is AL um, Elite Fishing Guide, just abbreviation for for Alabama. Um, the next three months, I'll be running one or two bass trips a week. Uh, the rest of the trips are going def- they're probably going to be crappie up until up until February, and then we'll make that switch. Currently, we're booked a couple weeks in advance. So if somebody is uh, looking to go out in January, uh, reach out to me. My cell phone number is 256-530-3306. I always got it on me. Um, and then I have gift cards also. Uh, last thing I'll throw in there is I run a discount for active military veterans and any form of first responders year-round. And that's 25% off all guided trips, electronics trips, bass, crappie, um, anything type of trips that I offer is 25% off that for those guys. Well, there we go, guys. If you got a, uh, if you got somebody you're looking to get that stocking stuff for four, again, a, a, uh, a gift card day out there crappie fishing, that'd be a mighty good gift. So 
Y'all keep that in mind. Everybody stay safe out there and enjoy the holidays as we start moving towards Christmas. And Jason, I look forward to talking to you next time, sir. Yes, sir, man. Happy to you guys uh, and all everybody listening. You guys have a Merry Christmas. Yes, sir. Let's take a quick break and hear from some of this week's sponsors. This week's episode of the Alabama Freshwater Fishing Report has been brought to you by Hilton's. The days of heading out and blindly looking for good fishing areas are pretty much over. Don't waste time and money on fuel searching for fish. You need the recent highest resolution images to not only know where to go, but where not to go. The knowledge provided by today's technology is critical when planning an offshore fishing trip. Make the choice that professional captains all over the Gulf make and choose Hilton's Real-Time Navigator. The easy-to-use interface and excellent customer service will have you on the fish every time you go. Check it out at hiltonsoffshore.com. Also brought to you by Bucks Island. Bucks Island is a family-owned and operated business since 1948. They have new pontoon boats, bass boats, bow riders, and aluminum boats for sale. They love trade-ins for boats and motors. They can rig your boat or ship your new motor anywhere in the United States. They provide boat service on all kinds of boats, even if they weren't purchased from Bucks. They have factory-trained and certified technicians. Visit them at 4500 Highway 77, Southside, Alabama, 35907 zip code, or give them a call at 256-442-2588. Well, folks, that wraps up this week's Alabama Freshwater Fishing Report. If you've enjoyed this episode, please take a minute to subscribe, rate, and review wherever you listen. If you'd like for us to email you the podcast, just text FISHING to 314-665-1767. Again, just text the word FISHING to 314 314- 665-1767. Subscribe to our email list and we'll send you the new show each week. This week's episode of the Alabama Freshwater Fishing Report has been brought to you by Fish Bites. Whether you're hitting the sand with set rigs or fishing the flats and marshes for speckled trout, redfish, and flounder, Fish Bites has something for you. Check out the full line of scented saltwater and freshwater baits at fishbites.com. Also brought to you by LM Marine. LM Marine has something for everyone. From small hunting boats to pontoons to bigger bay and hybrid boats for the hardcore angler. You can visit them at 34600 Highway 59 in Stapleton, Alabama, or give them a call at 251-937-1380. Also by Southeastern Pond Management. Since 1989, Southeastern Pond Management has been a leader in pond and lake management services. Schedule an obligation-free consultation today. Call one 888 830-POND or info at scpond.com and brought to you by KillerDoc combines durability, function, and design to uniquely upgrade your entire dock experience. Visit KillerDoc.com to see more.